The National Broadcasting Company presents the fifth in a series of eight radio dramas by George H. Faulkner entitled American Portraits. Tonight's stars, Frederick Warlock and Martin Blaine. A little more than 320 years ago, in the late autumn of 1620, a band of cold, sick, hungry, and desperate men gathered on the deck of a ship riding at anchor off Cape Cod. There, in the chill bay winds, they signed the first American charter of civil liberties and civil responsibilities, the document now known as the Mayflower Compact. This is the portrait of the man chiefly responsible for that document, Elder William Brewster, religious leader of the Mayflower Passengers. I am John Alden, aforetime a stave cutter and barrel maker to the thirsty townsfolk of Southampton in England, and more recently a hero in the pages of your own history books. I am that John Alden who followed the gleam in the eyes of a handsome girl westward across the ocean sea to find joy for my heart, work for my hands, and peace for my soul. But this is not my story, nor the story of Priscilla, my good wife. It is the tale of that one amongst all the Mayflower Company who best deserve the name they chose for themselves, the name of Saint. He was Master William Brewster, elder to the exiles, wise leader, and the second father for such poor lost sheep as John Alden. The story begins in the council chamber of an English king, James I, bookish but silly-witted scion of Mary, Queen of Scots. Sometime in the year 1605, when I myself was... Oh, I had thought, my lord Cecil, that the popish rebels had offered us a sufficient disturbance. Now you report further mischief. Tis obscure, you say? Yes, these are little men, your majesty. Lacking in numbers, quite deficient in wealth, position, or power. Yet they are heretics. What is the nature of their heresy? They are called brownists, your majesty after their first preacher, who has since recanted his sedition. So the women of these people suppose that religion should be free of royal power, that each man should be permitted to worship God after his own manner. Monstrous, monstrous. Such a doctrine agrees well with monarchy as God with the devil. By report, Your Majesty, these fantastic sectaries preach as readily against the crown as against Satan himself. Yet you say they're not important. Such is my belief. They're most of them poor men, tinkers, tailors, shopkeepers, and such. Their teaching is too clearly ridiculous to win credence even among the commonality. Yeah. Your counsel, then? Moderation. A few clipped ears in each congregation, as we find them out. A forehead branded here and there. No drastic steps. Nonsense, my dear Cecil. 
these mad nobodies challenge the divine right of kings. My own proven doctrine, the work of my life. I will make them conform themselves, or I will harry them out of the land, or do worse to them. Among the unimportant little people was Master William Brewster, postmaster and innkeeper. The two offices were as one in our day, at Scrooby in a far corner of Nottinghamshire. With Richard Clifton and John Robinson, this Brewster had formed a secret congregation of Brownists. When word of the king's purpose reached the elders, it was bound to come to this. Our England's no longer a home for honest men. I vow we must never submit to this lordly and tyrannous power. What say you, Master Brewster? That we are like to have small choice in the matter, Richard. The power is too great. Oh, why should God have given England to the devil's very nephew? Perhaps to test the strength of our own convictions, my good friend. <sighs> this great gilly on the throne suffers in his mind from the canker of kings, a belief in force. We must summon up an answerable courage. But what shall we do, brother? Go on as before. Worship God and trust in him. Meet in secret as before. Love each one the other as before. But must we not prepare... For exile? Yes. Yes, I fear we must. When the blow falls, we must be ready. There, there's been talk of Holland. It is said a, a man may call his soul his own in the lowland cities. That is true, or true enough as our world goes... Uh, I have made inquiries in Amsterdam. I have friends there. Mary! Oh, Mary! Yes, William? Wife, uh, would you open the door? We have visitors. Very well, husband. The king's men? It may be so, though I think not. I heard no horses. Why, tis but young Will Bradford come to join us. Master Brewster, good masters, I have news of great, great evil. Uh, help me, sir. Oh, here, lad, sit oh. you down. And now compose yourself, my boy. I, I have ridden and walked and run from Lincoln Town this night, masters, to warn you. In the market I heard it. We're undone. We're delivered up to the devil. Quietly, Will. Now, what is this word you have for us? We are betrayed. The names of all our congregation are in the hands of the king's lieutenant. He rides to Scrooby on the morrow. They will take us up, every one. And it is said we shall be put to torture. So, it has come sooner than I thought. Brothers, it is God's will that we leave England. William, the children, little patience and the baby not yet christened. We'll christen her this night, Mary. And we'll give her a name to match the temper of the times. We'll call the baby Fear. And so the Lord's free people fled. First into hiding in England and then into Holland. In Amsterdam and Leiden, grinding poverty was their lot. With hard labor at unfamiliar tasks, the burden of all, even the smallest children. Under the lash of necessity... Their thoughts turned little by little over the years toward the new world. And it was William Brewster who pressed them forward in this new adventure. As Bradford was to write one day...
A great hope and inward zeal they had of laying some foundation in those remote parts of the world. Yea, though they should be but stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. In Leiden, the elder had turned printer for his daily bread. Certain tracts published by him offended the authorities, both Dutch and English. And so he alone of all the company was still a fugitive in the year 1620. Friends at home in England offered him refuge. At the door of the room in London where he lay hidden... Come in, good friend. Why, tis alas. What seek your daughter? You are William Brewster, elder to the Holland Company. Aye, by God's grace. I am Priscilla Mullins. My father has sent me. But I was told he would seek me out. It was too dangerous, he said. He was being followed. You have a message, then? Yes. A ship has been chartered. At last! You must make your way to Southampton, where many of us await your coming. You must go to the sign of the lion's head near the docks. The innkeeper will hide you. The ship, daughter? What is it called? The Mayflower. The Mayflower. Why, last is the very name of hope. Some days later in Southampton, I was at work in the dockside shack I used for my cooper's trade. Young man! Young man! Dost love the Lord thy God? What say you? Art saved, young sir? <laughs> Why, old man, tis a strange question to pop out so bare among my barrels. I've never given the matter great thought. So, so you are not one of us. I had hoped, but no matter. Do you uh, love justice, young Cooper? Aye, though I've seen little of such like commodity hereabouts. If you seek justice, master, I'd know not where to send you for it, not in all England. I seek refuge from the injustice of the king, from the king's bailiff, hard on my heels but moments ago. Hide me, lad. Hide me quickly and turn them away. And lose my ears? Shall I lose my life as could be? Hardly, master. Um, what have you done? I have printed the truth. Look. Look at me, lad. Do you see evil? Do you see villainy? Look, look into my eyes. I saw gentleness and light. Such goodness as in all my young life I had never known. Even now I could not tell you the why of it, but I knew I must do this man's bidding despite the king's cruel law. Again I heard him implore. Hide me, lad. Find me a refuge or I shall be taken. My life will be forfeit and I still have work to do. Hide me in God's name. In your own name, old man. God's a stranger to me. I must be daft, but come back here. Quickly. Into this great hogshead. Oh, it's empty enough. Hand up and... Be still now. And I'll lie my ears off if they come. In thy name or the devil's. 
Come in. Are you Alden the Cooper? Aye. Speak truth, Cooper, in the king's name. Has seen aught of a small, hunched-over man with a grey beard, a brown waistcoat, and a look of hypocritical holiness on his face? That I have, save I saw not his face. He passed by not three minutes since, and in great haste. Which way, Cooper? Uh, uh, out from the docks, up into the town. He was he was clutching at his breast as if in pain from much running. If you lie, Cooper, you shall pay upon the rack. Come along, you lazy oafs. We'll take him yet. There, old man, I've earned me a fool's reward. Let me help you out. Uh, 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 well, I've been in uh, tighter places, lad, these past few years. I take it my first words did mystify your ears. Aye, it was a strange encounter. Dost love the Lord thy God? Who can answer that? Some of us can. We have many secret partisans on this coast. It was a manner of password, a, a countersign. Lad, I am William Brewster, lately a printer by trade. And I'm John Alden Cooper. <laughs> well, we're, we're well met, surely, but uh, we must part right soon. Elder Brewster? Oh, Master, I saw the soldiers. Priscilla, lass, where's your father? Well, he waits upon your coming at the place we'd agreed. He dared not to leave, so he sent me in search of you. I saw the soldiers enter here. I was afraid that... Oh, there now, girl. I'm quite safe by the art of this young man. Priscilla Mullins, this is John Alden, who has done me a great kindness without asking why. My... uh, My service... Miss... Why do you stare so? Elder, we we should hurry. The ship leaves on the morrow. Uh, uh, Stay a moment. Uh, Your eyes, miss. They're like the eyes of the elder here. Are you kin? Only in the spirit, John. We're both of the company who sail for the new world to worship as we will. Your brownists? Aye. The king's enemies, boy. Though we have forgiven him. Would you have need of a well-skilled carpenter and cooper master? You'd venture with us? That I would. But your parents, then? I have none. I have these two hands and tools to fit them. I I can read and write, for my uncle taught me, and I I have a mind to see this new land. What say you, Priscilla? Well, if we are to go out in the great dark this night to the ship, we'd uh, need strong arms to row. This did fret my father, for he's not young or well. Let the cooper come, if he will. From the log of the ship Mayflower, Captain Christopher Jones commanding. August the 18th, 1620. Weighed anchor. Wind fair. Course west-southwest. So we take our departure. You've heard, no doubt, that pleasant old story about Priscilla, Miles Standish, and me. Don't believe it entirely. Miles had a wife on the Mayflower. Her name was Rose, and they were devoted to each other. To Priscilla Mullins, I spoke for myself. Not once, but many times. I recall one night, midway in the passage, 
Priscilla came on deck to escape the cold, black stench of that dreadful hold. I followed her to the rail. Priscilla. John. John, you know you mustn't talk with me. So says your father, but why? Why does Master Mullins look down his nose at me? Why? Because you are not one of us? Oh, must I say it again? Because I will not listen to long-winded sermons in yon foul smothering hold? Because I cannot sing tuneless hymns about lambs and blood when I know not what they mean? Because you blaspheme against God and you make sport of our way. Because you are profane, John Old. I but speak my mind. I like to laugh a bit, and I mean no harm to your people. No, no, hear me out, Priscilla Mullins. There are those among this ship's company who do wish harm to the saints. What do you mean? That mutiny is brewing with those you call outsiders. These Londoners will not long brook your elders' authority once lands in view. You see, they like not being forever outside. But this ship is our ship by charter. Those wretched people from London, will they have their spokesman and master, Christopher Martin? Wretched they are and rough. And some of them are ready for evil deeds. Do but this. If you know where Master Brewer is hidden, go to him. Tell him the Cooper says, "'Tis time for him to come forth.'" Winds blew and cracked their cheeks, and we buried young Billy Button at sea, the first to die. A child, Oceanus Hopkins, was born. John Howland was swept overboard and pulled himself back by a trailing halyard. A miracle, declared the saints. But there were more sinners than saints aboard that storm-wracked ship. Brewster's Holland Company numbered but 41. The outsiders, mostly from London, were 63, among them being John Billington. Billington was one day to be hanged, drawn, and quartered as a murderer. When land was sighted at Cape Cod, far to the north of our purposed destination... Uh, I tell you, mate, tis a bloody swindle. Uh, is yon chill Sandy Spit, Virginia? Uh, it may be, for all of me. Art daft, Ned Doty, who are far to the north. And do you know for why? You tell me for why, Billington, just too much for my wits. Because in Virginia, these psalm-singing holy pulpit pounders would come once more under the hand of the king. They could lord it over us no longer. <laughs> Tis a swindle, I say. Well, can we swim to Virginia? No. But we can take the ship and sail her there. Rob Cop and the mate would join with us. Well, who's to stop us? There's no law here. Oh, there's, there's Captain Jones's Lord. He's a hard man. <laughs> Captain Shrimp. <laughs> All bluster and blow. Oh, I could break him in two like this stick. <laughs> I've tipped this visit to a round dozens to the boulder, my lad. <laughs> now, we'll meet tonight to plan it out while them canton hypocrites are at their prayers. <laughs> And around the one open fire in the passenger hold, another council was in progress. Huddled there against the November cold were Elder Brewster and John Carver, with Miles Standish, the little red-headed soldier, and Christopher Martin representing the outsiders, the unsanctified, said Elder Brewster. Captain Jones has told us that he can proceed no further to the south 
lest his supplies for the return voyage give out. Now, whether he speaks truth or not, I cannot say. I, for one, am content to cast our lot here upon this coast. And uh, you, John Carver? Tis agreed. We'll be further removed from the long arm of King James and his pretty boy favorites. Captain Standish? Tis all one to me. If a harbor can be found on a hill to perch a fort upon. And you, Master Martin? Why should I speak? My words carry no weight in this council. It troubles me that you should feel put upon, Christopher. This grumbling ill becomes your worth and substance. There are others who may do more than grumble. Aye, I've heard this talk of mutiny. I fear some action must be set afoot. Name me the traitors. I'll show them the color of action. Action is my trade. Your advice, Captain Standish? I'd string them up on a yard arm. So Captain Jones would do of a certain day. No, no. We'll not use force. Force is the name of all we strive and suffer to conquer. Force breeds force, as maggots breed corruption. And the end of that road is ever death, no. No, we must try the way of reason and loving kindness. We're all Englishmen here, on this far edge of earth. And we're all children of God. We must act as brothers... Or surely we shall perish ere spring, spring moves north again. What would you have us do then, Elder? I have put that question most urgently in prayer, Master Carver. And my prayer has been answered. Let us draw up a compact for our governance. And in this treaty amongst ourselves, let all be equal. Let those who walk in the path of God's word accept equally those who so blindly refuse his holy light, preferring each his private darkness. Let us join together the sundered members of this small and much periled body, that we may set forth a shining example to those who will follow after us to the shores of the new world. We have need of law. Let the law be made equally for all. This gray and sleety hour is the 11th of November, old style, in 1620. November 21st in your new calendar, 330 years ago. Before all the assembled Mayflower Company on deck, William Brewster offers his compact. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the subjects of our dread sovereign lord, King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King. Down with the Scottish louts! Never! Now, brothers, brothers, I beg of you. Tis but a form of words. We're English still. This compact will be heard at home. Let us not have the Stuart Prince think send a ship of war against us. Aye, he's right. Read on, Elder. Quiet all. Quiet now. We do, by these presents, 
solemnly and mutually, solemnly and mutually, in the presence of God and of one another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation. Let the Lord be praised. And by virtue hereof, to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices, from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of all the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. In witness whereof, we have hereunder subscribed our names at Cape Cod the 11th of November in the year of our Lord, 1620. Now, who, who will sign this compact? I, John Carver. I, William Bradford. I, Miles Standish, though tis a great foolishness. Now, who among the artisans will come forward? This is for all of us, not just the Holland men and not just the gently born. Tis for all of us, masters and yeomen alike. Who will come forward and sign? John Alden? Yes, I'll sign with all my heart, as I do love justice. Yes, John? There'll be no mutiny now. You've you've won a great victory. You've made a great light in the world. Victory belongs to the Lord, John. All light is his light. Time without end. I thought you'd say that. Elder. Yes, lad? Could... Could you... Teach me what you mean when you say such things. Could you, could you show me this way you've chosen, this, this way of truth and light? I would share the peace I've seen in your eyes. You would be one of us, John? If you'll teach me, Master, I'll, I'll try to learn to walk your path. Though, mind you, it will not be easy work. Tis not an easy road, John. But I'll do my best to guide you aright. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait, but, but boy, where are you going? To tell Priscilla and her father. Half our company met death in that first winter in the new world. What shall I say for them? Of those who set forth from Southampton and from Plymouth, most were brave, many were loving, a few were wise. Out of the sum of their wisdom, their human-heartedness, and their fortitude came a part of your own great American heritage. Knowingly or not, they were as stepping stones unto others for the performing of a great work, a work that's still unfinished. If the wisest of them could speak, the most gentle, the strongest of all, I think he might say... God 
what you have been given. Lose it not. Push forward still in the way of the Lord's free people. Though the night be dark and the road a stony one, follow ever the path of reason and courage and love in God's name. You have been listening to Stepping Stones, the story of Elder William Brewster, with Frederick Warlock as Brewster and Martin Blaine as John Alden. Others in the cast were Ivor Francis, Joseph Kearns, Ronald Long, Jack Manning, James Monks, Kermit Murdoch, Richard Newton, Guy Sorrell, John Stanley, Cynthia Stone, Anne Tiemann, and Lawson Zerby. Milton Kadams conducted the orchestra in an original score by Alan Shulman. This is Ben Grower inviting you to be with us again next week when we shall present The Sword of Kentucky, the story of George Rogers Clark and the conquest of what is now the great American Middle West. Tonight's American Portrait was written by George H. Faulkner and directed by James Harvey. American Portraits is presented through the courtesy and cooperation of the editors of Cavalcade of America, heard regularly on Tuesday nights, which will resume its fall broadcasting season on September 4th. (laughs) 